In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today I'm joined by Tamar Hallerman, our Washington correspondent. And I sound a little different because it's a little bit of a bittersweet moment. Um, This is one of Tamar's last appearances with our podcast from Washington, at least. She'll be on it more in Georgia. But She's got some news uh, to, d- to deliver. Yeah, you're making it sound like I'm dying. I'm not dying. I am uh, <laughs> I am moving down to Georgia to take a new reporting job with the AJC. And the way I describe it to people is, you know, if the investigative team, if they're like long distance runners and breaking news reporters are like sprinters, I'm joining the middle distance team. I'm going to be kind of taking a more in-depth approach to a lot of the policy and political debates that you've seen raging on the state and national level. So writing about things like the urban-rural divide, um, changing Georgia, culture wars, I'll be doing women in the workplace, that sort of thing, and also a couple other beats like water rights and, and that sort of thing, but but still keeping an eye on D.C. and helping out Tia as she, she navigates her way around the, the city. Yeah, and we'll introduce you to Tia Mitchell, the new Washington correspondent later in the show, but... Um, you know what? What I'm just curious because I've never I've never had to be a Washington correspondent before, and it, it's a challenging job because you're a, a one woman show up there, um, covering a massive beat for a massive newspaper and a massive broad readership. So what what are the uh, what's the best advice you have for Tia, and what are you going to miss the most about it? Sure. Well. Uh, you know, the way I describe this job to people is you're, you're drinking from the fire hose or at least kind of keeping track of a million different things. And then in the end, you're filtering out 95% of it for your readers. So you have to kind of know a little bit about everything so you can kind of figure out what's important and what's actually worth your time. That can be super challenging on, you know, days like this week where there was a ton of news on impeachment and developments by the hour. Um, but but that's what I'm doing. I'm always kind of keeping track and seeing where our local lawmakers are, um, if, if anything's happening that impacts um, Georgia specifically up there. And, and maybe there are stories that aren't being told by the national press. I see my job um, as kind of finding those those local stories that no one else is telling. Um, as for what I'll miss, you know, I've been on Capitol Hill on and off for, for 10 years, and it really is an alternate universe up here. And that's often described as a bad thing, but it's also a, a great thing, too. There's a ton of camaraderie in a way that you don't really see on television. You get to know all the other reporters from all the different news outlets who cover Capitol 
Capitol Hill. You get to know the police officers who guard the building. There are elevator mm-hmm. operators and staff members and all sorts of folks who you get to know because you you're work all the time and, and you really get to forge those bonds. So I'll really miss that the most. And as you go on your extended uh, farewell tour, you're also kind of uh, faring back and forth to Atlanta and and, and you were just out in rural Georgia. Um, what what are you most excited about for your new gig? Getting to tell those stories from the ground and getting to talk to folks. Uh, the perfect example is when I was covering the the Hurricane Michael's emergency spending package that took months to pass up here in D.C. Um, you know, mm. I was always trying to tell stories of what that delay actually meant for folks on the ground in Georgia. And that's sometimes hard to do from afar. You know, I'm relying a lot on other people, on interest groups, on uh, officials and stuff to kind of show me the way to people. But but now I can actually just hop in a car and go drive and, and find people on my own. So it'll be exciting to actually get to see and experience a lot of those things on the ground that I've written about from afar here in D.C. And you got to uh, kind of get a preview of your new job a couple of days ago when you were down here to report on a big water war story that will come out later um, this year. But also you got to talk to a lot of voters just about about another important issue that is happening in Washington, which is the impeachment uh, push. You got to talk to an array of people. Um, what did you learn from, from folks on the ground, regular voters? Exactly. So I was down in Albany and I was walking around city center right at right about five o'clock when folks were getting out of work. And, you know, on the one hand, I was struck by how many people, frankly, had not been paying close attention. Um, a mm. lot of folks said they were uncomfortable talking and, and you could tell in their eyes, you know, or they, they'd mentioned, you know, I really haven't been following this closely. I don't feel like I can um, say much yet. And then there were others who you know, had very, um, you know, very forceful opinions about the debate. And, and it was amazing to me how there wasn't much in between. There were either people who felt like they were following every twist and turn of this debate and then folks who knew nothing at all and, and didn't really feel like commenting. But a lot of the the divide that I captured in in the story, and, and you did too in your trip to Milledgeville, um, was just how much it, you know, the debate on the streets in Georgia is so reflective of the debate that and the divide that I've seen up here on Capitol Hill. Yeah, well, we'll be continuing to follow all that breaking news. You not as much, but I have a feeling that that a lot of your work will still intersect in the world of politics, and this will not be your last uh, your last trip to our show. Hopefully not. And we are thrilled to have you coming back to Georgia to cover a lot of beats that, frankly, you don't get as much attention and and thankfully will be about to get a lot more uh, scrutiny and attention from you. Well, I can't wait. And I'd like to encourage listeners, you know, if there are things that you're seeing and, you know, just interesting things that you're hearing, keep us in mind for that because uh, we will have more time or at least I will to, to go and investigate them and kind of document a lot of the trends we're seeing. So I'm excited. And now we're welcoming Tia Mitchell. I shouldn't call you Tamar's replacement, but you are succeeding Tamar up in Washington. I am excited about that. And of course, Tamar has been a great predecessor to use your line of way we're going to describe this. So yes, I will be succeeding Tamar as the AJC's national correspondent. And tell us, okay, so this is not your first time on the show, but it's, you're about to be on the show a lot more. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, hey guys, my name is Tia Mitchell, and I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, or as us locals say, Louisville, 
and I went to college at Florida A&M University. It's an HBCU in Tallahassee, Florida. So a lot of people know Florida State is down there, and then they say, fam, you with the great band. It's like, yes, that's us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a super active alumni base yes. that you keep in touch with religiously. Right? Yes, we are very proud Rattlers. Um, a lot of Rattlers in the metro Atlanta area. And some in the newsroom, right? A lot of Rattlers in the newsroom, so they made me right at home. And yes, I'm very active with the Alumni Association. Um, FAMU changed my life. It's a great institution. And so tell us about, um, so you, you worked in the Tallahassee newspaper. You covered Florida politics there. And about, what, two years ago, you, you applied for the AJC gig, and you've been covering DeKalb County ever since. Yes, so I was in Tallahassee working for Jacksonville's newspaper, which is, I know. I definitely knew that. Yeah. And it's our, you know, Tallahassee being the state capital, I My whole journalism career has been around Florida, so I've worked in Jacksonville, worked in Tampa for the Tampa Bay Times, and then I moved to Tallahassee to uh, cover state politics, first for the Tampa Bay Times, and then later back for the Florida Times Union, which is Jacksonville's newspaper. And then two years ago, I decided I was ready to take my talents to the big city, (laughs) and I applied to the AJC. And for the past two years, I've been serving as the AJC's DeKalb County reporter. And so when you were in Tallahassee, you kind of got used to being a one-woman band, right? So so being in Washington, being the uh, one-woman uh, band for the AJC and, and at, at the nation's capital, that won't be too new to you. It won't be. When I was with the Tampa Bay Times, we had a big bureau yeah. in Tallahassee. But when I went to the Florida Times Union and remained in Tallahassee, I was a one-woman show. And so I still called myself the bureau chief <laughs> just because I thought the title sounded cool. Yeah. But people were like, well, how many people in your bureau? And I'd be like, just one. I'm just a chief me. of one. <laughs> I'm my own boss. I'm my own boss. And so I am used to that. It's a challenge, but it also, to me, is a lot of freedom because you can do whatever you want. You're the only person in Tallahassee, and now I'll be the only person in Washington for the AJC. So I won't have to say, well, it's someone else's job to cover, you know, the impeachment proceedings or it's someone else's job to cover education policy. All of it is my job. It's you. Yeah, no pressure there. Now, our readers will have seen your st- your stuff over the last two years covering DeKalb County, but also covering Georgia politics, especially the last few months of last year. Uh, you were pretty much embedded in the Stacey Abrams campaign, crisscrossing Georgia with her. Yes, that was a great opportunity. Got to work with you, Greg, and the politics team to cover the final weeks of Stacey Abrams' campaign. And you're right, I, I went to places in Georgia that I otherwise probably would never see. Mm -hmm. And they were beautiful cities and towns because, as you know, Stacey Abrams made it a point to visit every county in the state. And then some she went back to. And there were all these little small towns. And I enjoyed it. And that really gave me a taste of Georgia being a relatively new resident. I also did profile Lucy McBath. early when she was as she was running for Congress and I knew her because her son Jordan he was killed in Jacksonville so I've been covering her advocacy on gun control in Florida so when I moved here saw she was running for Congress I raised my hand and said I kind of have a rapport with uh, Lucy and would enjoy writing about her congressional campaign. You'll be writing a lot more about Lucy, probably a lot more about Stacey over the next few years. And of course, covering the delegation, Republicans, Democrats, it's a very active, busy delegation. Um, And we were talking about this the other day. You'll also have 
one of the closest uh, contacts with not only Senator David Perdue, but also whoever Governor Kemp appoints to that second job. And and the relationship and covering those two people, whoever Perdue and whoever the second appointee might be, will be so instrumental for, for – 2020 race and how that evolves. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I actually am going to be in D.C. all next week getting to know folks and tomorrow's going to take me all around and show me where to go and where to use the bathroom and all those things. And so one of the things I look forward to not only meeting the current delegation members and their staff, but again, I do look forward to meeting Senator Isaacson on his final days Mm -hmm. and covering the final days of his political career. I think that'll be really important for the history books. But also, as you stated, there will be someone appointed to fulfill the end of his term. And that's going to really, depending on who Governor Kemp chooses, that person could take that role in a whole new direction. Let's get right into that, because there's been some some developments this past week um, about that search for the, the, the Isaacson successor. Um, more than 500 people have applied now to that job. Some everyday folks, some former lawmakers, some doctors and lawyers and IT specialists and some big names, some, some, some current and former officials with the Trump administration, some longtime Kemp deputies, some, some radio commentators, and, and adding to the list of not applications, but at least people who, are, who have expressed interest is Chief Justice of the Georgia Supreme Court, Harold Melton. He would um, he would be someone that Kemp would, would seriously, seriously consider if he ends up uh, formally applying or there's actually a question about whether he can formally apply, but at least making it known that he wants this job. Right. And it's I saw, of course, the article you wrote and actually had a source was talking to me about it as well. And it it seems that kind of the the political class in Georgia really thinks that Justice Melton has an inside track if this is something he's interested in. Yeah, um, uh, camp advisors, there's a lot of people who they're they're kind of circling, um, but he he would definitely be um, one of the the top two or three people, I'd imagine. And part of the reason is he's backed by quite an influential figure, and that's Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue, a close ally of Kemp, and of course, a former governor who appointed Harold Melton to that job way back in 2005. And it's funny, I was actually at the Georgia Supreme Court earlier this week to cover a hearing for a DeKalb County case. And so I was kind of watching Justice Melton, uh, paying more attention to him. In court, he's a man of few words. Mm-hmm. The the justices were very vocal on this case, but he was not as vocal as some of his colleagues. He had a very quiet demeanor of that leader, that statesman. So I just kind of sat back and watched him and was like, hmm, I wonder what he's thinking. You know, is he is he sitting there, you know, on his pad saying U.S., you know, Senator Melton, see, seeing how that <laughs> looks or whatever. But I do think it'll be interesting, especially if it comes out that former Governor Purdue is – advocating on his behalf if Governor Kemp, you know, other than Justice Melton, you know, you hear about Representative Collins and other people, and this would be a much different type of choice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, one of the things the gov- Governor Kemp has, has long said is he might end up picking your conventional type candidate like like Congressman Collins, but he might he wants to at least vet people who are outside the box. And um that would be Justice Melton, right? He is, he is an African-American conservative jurist. He 
uh, was good, not before he was tapped to the bench. He was a state attorney general, uh, assistant attorney general. So he was a state attorney, and he was also Sandy Purdue's top uh, lawyer in, in the administration. So he handled a lot of water war type issues, and a lot of criminal justice issues in, in the governor's office. Um, so he brings a different sort of track record. He's 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 liked by conservatives. He's he's had a, a pretty conservative judicial record. But on the other hand. He's, his political views are largely unknown. I mean, he's a Republican, um, but how close he is to where he, where he stands on some of the hot-button issues that will shape next year's election are, are relatively unknown. And also unknown is how, how supportive he is of President Trump. And that's a big, huge factor in next right. year's race because a single tweet from the president could undo any Republican appointee's chances in 2020. Right. And also the fact that he is African-American, you know, right now there's only one African-American senator, I believe, which is Senator Tim Scott in South Carolina. So just those dynamics in D.C. would instantly make him super high profile Mm -hmm. nationally. And so that is a different, you know, that's also like a different part of the equation than I think just who feels Senator Isaacson's spot when you think about who you're going to choose. Exactly right. And think about as much attention as the 2017 special election got in last year's gubernatorial race. This could be a whole new level of, of scrutiny because of the likelihood that we'll end up in a January 2021 runoff right. between the between whoever Kemp appoints and the, the number two finisher. If no one gets 50, 50% of the vote plus one in November, we'll have a runoff in January. And so the entire national political attention will be focused, trained on, on Georgia in this race. And any separation that that this candidate, whoever the appointee has with David Perdue or Donald Trump will be scrutinized. Their views on every single issue will be scrutinized. And I think the the knock or the, the one of the challenges that if you do pick Harold Melton is going to be he's someone who has, you know, he's waged statewide campaigns, but very low profile ones and never with opposition. He's run three times unopposed. Um, the, the state Supreme Court seats are six year terms and all three times he didn't draw an opponent. So this is someone who's never really had to raise a lot of money, who's never really had a campaign out there. Go go from that to a thirty million dollar plus campaign that will be that will shatter all sorts of state records at least, and that will be watched by every political observer in the nation. So, question for you: Is there a chance that Governor Kemp picks someone just as a? truly temporary senator, or do you think that's totally not feasible, that he's going to pick someone that he expects to run in 2020? Yeah, that question's come up a lot, whether or not the governor will pick a placeholder, someone who can just fill out the term. And some senators, some governors have done that in the past. I, I, I really don't think Governor Kemp will do that. For, for one, this is a very unique opportunity in Georgia. The last governor who got to do that was Roy Barnes. He picked Zell Miller, who ended up speaking at the Republican National Convention a few years later. Um, but so it's a coveted uh, chance for, for the governor to do this. Number two, whoever he picks will bear heavily on, on, a, on not only Trump's and David Perdue's reelection chances in 2020, but also his own. So he has a chance essentially to pick his own running mate in 2022. Because whoever runs in 20, whoever he picks will have to win in 2020 and then would presumably, if they, if they win, be on the same ballot as him in 2022. So he'll want the chance to pick a running mate. And then thirdly, because of the nature of the election, it's a special election, which means candidates from all parties are on the same ballot. What Republicans fear 
is if he doesn't, if he picks a placeholder and you have a wide open race of 10 Republicans in the contest all on the same ballot without a primary, that they could damage each other so much and give a unified Democratic opponent a chance to win that seat in the special election. So it's really, it's such a complicated calculus, but it looks unlikely that he'll he'll, he'll pick a, a placeholder. Got you, got you. And I, the other thing is the article you wrote about how the delay, well, I mean, there's no time limit, but because it's taking Governor Kemp some time yeah. to choose who he's going to appoint, the Democrats are kind of being a little bit wary of who's going to run in 2020. They People haven't really announced yet, and that's also holding up the money for not only the Isaacson seat, but how much Democrats spend on the people who are running for against Purdue in 2020. totally. I mean, this has been such a bizarre race to cover because it's been so slow. I mean, if you think back to when Senator Isaacson made that thunderclap announcement that he's not going to, he's not going to, he's going to step down at the end of the year. Since then, we, you know, back then we thought this would be so quick to develop. This will, you know, in a few weeks we'll have Democrats and Republicans in the race. Instead, it's been very slow. Governor Kemp has not picked anyone yet among the 500 plus people. She's got a text just now asking if, if anything, if the dynamic has changed because I'm about to write a sto- another story and I got the word that, nope, still looking, still vetting, nothing, nothing expected in the next couple of days. But the Democratic side, too, has been pretty frozen. I mean, Matt Lieberman, as we've reported, has gotten in the race. He's Joe Lieberman's son, but he is not the party's pick. He's not the the, the favorite of, of state or national op, uh, operatives. What they're trying to do is get behind one candidate who can unite the Democratic field. And I was at an event a couple of days ago. It was the Democratic big you know annual party fundraiser. And it struck me how uh, the same event in 2015, the Reverend Raphael Warnock gave this you know captivating speech that really thrilled the crowd. And it seemed like he was about to, right. he was on the verge of getting in that Senate race, then against Senator Isaacson. Um, he ended up not doing that. But four years later, he gives another speech that sure sounded like he was a candidate. It sure sounded like he was about to get in. Um, but this time around, he's not the only guy who, who, who's being recruited to run. That in, in 2015, 16, he was the Democrats' best hope. Now, right. they, you know, there's still many Democrats who want him to run, but there are there was a dozen other people in that room who are all hobnobbing and talking to each other and talking to donors and making it very clear that they were still interested in this race. Right, and then one of them is someone I cover, uh, CEO Michael Thurmond of DeKalb County. You got it. You might, you might be... <laughs> This might be perfect for us because you go from covering DeKalb County to going to, to, to cover the Senate races uh, with that with with Michael Thurman in the race. He made it clear too. I mean, he's he's made no, um, he's not been shy about it. He's very interested in the race. He went up to Washington to talk with national national folks about it. So did Ed Tarver, a former U.S. Attorney out in Augusta. He's also a former state senator. He went to Washington. I was standing by the two men as they were comparing notes about their recent <laughs> trips. And then another DeKalb County official has made it clear, too. She's still interested, uh, particularly if, if Michael Thurman um, uh, you know, doesn't make the cut. And that's Sherry Boston. Mm-hmm, the district attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know her well? Not very well, actually, because— uh, I don't cover a lot of the cops and court stuff. Order. Yeah, but she's she's built quite the reputation for for herself as a reformer, um, in, in in criminal justice reformer, someone who who wants to focus on the more serious crimes, but the more minor drug offenses, um, look towards remediation programs and accountability courts rather than and, prison. And yeah, and she did the whole thing about uh, decriminalizing marijuana. Mm-hmm. I think she was involved in that conversation as well. 
And then there's, of course, Warnock and there's State Senator Jen Jordan and there's State Senator Nakima Williams, who's the chairwoman of the, of the State Democratic Party. Um, so even though some of the bigger names we've talked about, like Stacey Abrams and Lucy McMath, are out of that race, there's still, there's still a very active and not so quiet um, competition for Washington's favor among those other, those other potential candidates. And there's probably other names out there that, we, that aren't even really on our radar yet. But one name that we can say that is off the radar as of a few days ago, Michelle Nunn. Mm-hmm. She was the 2014 um, Democratic nominee for that seat. Um, there's a lot of buzz about her maybe being interested in this, in this race now that, uh, with, the, with the second Senate seat open. Well, she told the AJC a couple days ago that she's focusing on her work at the nonprofit care group that she's led since 2015. Okay. All right, Michelle. <laughs> but plenty of other names still interested and plenty of stories for us to cover over the next, well, over the next, Jesus, about a year until the election. Time's We're going to be busy. I'm We're, excited. I am so thrilled. Yeah. And you're moving up there in a couple of weeks? I Well, I am going to be back and forth. I think I'll officially, like, take the U-Haul at the end of the year. But I will be spending a lot of time in Washington starting next week and throughout the end of the year. And we should note, too, this is not goodbye to Atlanta. Uh, you talked about all those small towns and, and cities and, and, of course, metro Atlanta areas that you've visited over the last and you've covered and visited over the last two years. Well, you'll just like tomorrow is off and back. I imagine you'll be back and forth uh, joining us on the campaign trail. Probably. I hope so. I love Atlanta. I really do. So I look forward to frequent trips. And, um, of course, we got the debate coming up and looking forward to covering that later. President Trump's visit in a a couple weeks. We've got a lot of news coming. Well, we are thrilled about this news. And I know that as the, as our listeners and readers get to know you more, they'll be so excited um, to, and and watching for every byline. I'll, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at Tia reports, email me, call me. I want to hear from AJC readers. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.